0: Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome back to this week's episode of the T Bone Speaks podcast. This week, we're going to have Miss Sandy Hudson from Unlock the PPO on the podcast talking about ways to improve our practice and negotiate with PPO insurance companies. We're going to talk about four things this week that I know you want to listen to. Number one, we're going to talk about negotiating and the pitfalls and how to negotiate with PPOs. We're going to talk about the steps and things that you look for about getting into insurance networks, if that's what you want to do. Number three, we're going to talk about determining the plans to drop if you ever go down that road. And then number four, we're going to talk about what's near and dear to my heart which is about transitioning out of insurance as the owner or the senior doctor in a practice. So having a practice or a dental business where one person's in network and one person's out of network. So I know you're going to enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal, where our goal is to change the way you practice dentistry by helping you achieve clinical, financial, and personal balance. Now, here's your host, T-Bone. All right, everybody, welcome back for another episode of the T Bone Speaks podcast where we try to focus on talking about the realities of dentistry, growing your practice, growing your business, uh, and enjoying your life a little bit more and dealing with some of the common challenges. I've been trying to get today's guest on for a long time, and I don't know why it's been so hard, but today we're going to be talking with Miss Sandy Hudson with Unlock the PPO, headquartered in Colorado. So this week, let's bring on uh, Miss Sandy Hudson. Sandy, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm
1: good, how are you? It's been a long time since we were able to get this together,
0: it's nice to chat with you. I know, I think the last time I tried to get you on, you were moving uh, headquarters and moving offices, and I think you tried to avoid me for a little while, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) I don't know about that. I'm just messing with you. All right, Sandy, let's get to it. We don't have a lot of time, and I want to get to the meat of this. So let's talk about, uh, so full disclosure, uh, I want to make sure I get this out there. I've used Sandy's services for Unlock the PPO twice, is that correct, twice now? Okay, and as far as I know, and I've paid full price, and I've actually paid you, correct, Sandy?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, I just want to make sure I don't owe you money, and I get a, I get a shock on air. Uh, so I want to make sure that uh, people know that I want to bring on Sandy because we've used her in our practice, and number two, that uh, this isn't a paid commercial uh, where I, I actually paid Sandy for her services to our practice. And so, all right, so Sandy, I originally contacted you because a friend on Dentaltown was talking about negotiating fees. We all bitch and moan and complain about the as dentists about the fees that dental insurances take from us, but yet we also realize that dental insurance is a necessary evil in today's market. So let's begin by giving you the floor to talk about negotiating with PPOs.
1: Well, the key thing now is you really just have to be paying attention. Um, Most insurance companies that do negotiate, it's once every two years at most that you can go back to them. So you really have to hit them every two years. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to negotiate every two years, but you have to be hitting them every two years Um, just to make sure you're staying on top of things. The bigger issue right now, though, is just that with every company, with the exception of Delta, Delta is the only company left where you have to directly contract with them. Um, All of the other insurance companies have at least part of their networks coming in through different shared network agreements. So now it's becoming more strategy-oriented, where it's not just going directly to the insurance companies to negotiate. It's stepping back to look globally at the practice and saying, which of these are working, which ones of them are not, and then trying to shift things around so that you're using the contracting to your benefit, whereas the insurance companies are trying to use it to their benefit. So that's the big piece now.
0: Okay, so what is there a benefit to saying, I'm not going to negotiate every two years, I'm going to give them five years, and they'll be more likely to negotiate with me?
1: No. No, because now what we're seeing is where you start with your contract and where you're at currently, that's the basis point. So if you're thinking, hey, we haven't negotiated for 10 years, they're going to jump up and get us up to market rate of what a new office would get or what the current rate is in the area. That's really not the case. It is in some cases, but the majority really are coming back. I would say a direct negotiation um, is somewhere typically in the 1% to 5% range right now if they're coming back with the negotiation, but we're not seeing them... Um, necessarily make big leaps to get you up to market value as much as we used to. So you have to definitely be hitting as often as you can that they'll accept your increase um, request because the longer you wait, and the other thing too is that it's varying year by year of which insurance companies are negotiating, which ones are not. There can be cases where just this year, maybe they decided we're not doing negotiations for this year and we'll start again in 2019. If that's the case, you've then totally missed your window of time um, until they start up again. So, no, you definitely want to be not waiting any longer than you have to.
0: Now, in that example that you just gave, so let's say I went to the insurance company and tried to get them to negotiate, but they say we're not negotiating now. Do I have to wait another two years before I ask again?
1: No, go back then when it's available. Like, for example, if a company says, we're not doing anything till 2019, put it on your calendar for January 1st, 2019 and go okay. back again. Um, or they may just say, we're declining. Now if they're declining, they may be saying, we've actually reviewed it. We are, we are doing negotiations in some cases. We're declining your specific office and then you may have to wait another two years.
0: What percentage of offices do you think negotiate with PPOs?
1: Ooh, actually, I, you know, I don't know because we do, we do it for the people who don't want to do it themselves. Um, I would say, you know, there's some offices that are really on the ball and they're hitting it, you know, as soon as they can. Most, I think now are spending so much time just trying to get to the right person or the right department and it's taking mm-hmm. so much follow up that it's a project that kind of just falls by the wayside because, you know, as you know, people in dental offices are actually trying to treat patients and take care of patients. They don't have time. because you know, sometimes we might follow up with a rep, you know, 10 times or more just to get something finalized, and a lot of offices just don't have the time for that. So I do see some office managers who are absolutely on it. Um, it's just that it's become so much more time-consuming than it used to to keep it in-house.
0: All right. So what I just heard you say is you don't have to... You don't have to hire somebody to do it. You could do it yourself, but obviously, there's advantages of doing it yourself, and there's, in my opinion, a lot more advantages of hiring a professional to do it.
1: Yeah, okay. and I think you know quite a bit about us to say, you know, we're we're pretty cautious about taking on clients if we think, you know, we can't do something better for them than they can do on their own. If they have one or two. And really I think you're gonna get the same answer from the insurance company we're gonna get because I know what the market is in their area. We'll usually just say, hey, this is somebody to reach out to, why don't you just do it yourself rather than go through us? There are some that are very simplified and very minimal contracting and it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. And the office can keep it in-house. Where it gets okay. a lot more complicated is you know, offices that have multiple contracts and particularly with all the shared network agreements and if they have any large third party administrators, that's when it starts to get a lot more messy because if you make a change with something, there's another contract sitting there ready to potentially pick up. So you just have to be very aware of how all of those contracts and fee schedules can be intertwined. And that's the big web that's just a mess now out there is you can drop something and have another company pick up and did not even know that they had a shared network agreement in place. So that's more where I think the outsourcing part is more helpful, is more that strategy piece and knowing who has relationships with who, as opposed to just reaching out to an insurance company and asking for an increase. In a lot of cases, like you said, those can be just simplified and kept in house. It's the bigger picture strategy piece that's become a lot more complicated. All
0: right. So for those that don't understand, can you give us a fundamental definition of a shared network? What, what is a shared network?
1: Yeah, so that's meaning that you're in network with a company, but you're being paid can, you, can, can we Can we use, like,
0: for example, because I know how dentists think. I apologize. Let's use, like, real company names, not saying that this exists. Can we do that?
1: Yep, okay. absolutely. So there's the big third-party administrators. That's going to be the national ones are Connection Dental, Denimex, Carrington, um, Maverest, who was recently bought out by Zealous. They're the same company now. Those are large third-party administrators. So those are huge shared network agreements, meaning you're taking one contract if you take a single fee schedule with, let's say, Connection Dental. And they may pick up 50 companies underneath their umbrella. So you're then agreeing that that one fee schedule could apply to all 50 companies, whoever gets picked up via that Connection Dental path. So those are the big ones. Then there's some regional ones that operate similarly, like Premier Group. Premier Group is still a large third-party administrator, but it's only in certain states. So there's some big national ones and some more regional ones. But then you've got the smaller shared network agreements. Those are things where, for example, you might be in network with Aetna, you signed a contract with Aetna, but now Aetna has a shared network agreement with Guardian. So when that shared network agreement went into place, and you did not have a contract with Guardian before, so you were out of network with Guardian, but you had a contract with Aetna, now Aetna is picking up Guardian, so your Guardian patients are now in network but paid on the Aetna fee schedule. So sometimes that can work okay for you because if you have a good Aetna fee schedule and now they're picking up Guardian at a very good you know, rate, that might actually be a good thing for you because you're getting a high fee schedule that applies to two companies now instead of one. So there could be six or seven different ways that you could be in network with Guardian paid on completely different fee schedules for each one of those. But as far as the patient knows, you're just in network with Guardian, but you're utilizing a shared network agreement in terms of how you get paid. The other thing to be very aware of with these is that these have exploded. (laughs) So these shared network agreements have gone crazy. You have to be aware that any time a new shared network agreement has been put in place, you're gonna get automatically opted into that. Most of those agreements give you the ability to opt out, but the burden is on you to opt out. You're gonna be automatically opted in unless you specifically take the step to opt out of that agreement. Whenever. Do the
0: companies have to tell you that they're entering into or no, picking up another?
1: Um, they supposed to. <laughs> now, whether that's happening or not, the, and the big one, um, I always say, if anybody is contracted with United Concordia, that's a big one because United Concordia has a tough fee schedule to work with anyway, but they have entered into lots of new shared network agreements. The latest one was Emeritus back in December. So the tricky part with that is that it also used to be, if you signed a direct contract with an insurance company, that direct contract would take priority over any of these shared Shared networks. And that's still the case with some companies, like Aetna, for example. If you sign a direct contract with Aetna, That direct contract takes priority over any of the other shared network agreements that would be out there. Emeritus, however, does not do that. So if you have a direct contract with Emeritus and you have a contract with United Concordia, um, United Concordia can now be the fee schedule that's being paid for, for Emeritus. So even if you have a direct contract, it doesn't matter. They can now downgrade you to the United Concordia fee schedule, even though you had a contract already in place with Emeritus. Now, there's an opt-out available for that, meaning, again, you're going to get automatically opted into that agreement. You can go to United Concordia and say, hey, we want to opt out of those shared network agreements. That then isolates that United Concordia contract so that no other companies can downgrade to it. It's meant to say this is, this is just supposed to be for United Concordia patients, not all of these other companies. But again, the burden is on you to opt out or you're going to automatically be opted in each time they add a new company to
0: that agreement. Now, are these things that you guys as a company, when you engage in a contract with a service, with a dental practice, that you look through all of that? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast family. T-Bone here to talk about the 3D Dentist Digital Implant Continuum. Are you ready to start placing dental implants, but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed? I know that feeling. I've been there. Let's change that together. Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients, right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career, just like it did for me. So are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com. Check out our upcoming sessions and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now let's get back to this week's episode.
1: Yeah, the, the, um, the shared network agreement piece is actually far more complicated than the direct negotiation. Um, I kind of, just this morning, I was calling that the low-hanging fruit. If you've got a contract directly with an insurance company, going back and forth with them, you know, that's relatively simple. Now, it may be time-consuming because you might have to follow up a lot and be persistent, but you've got a direct path. The bigger piece is the contracting piece. And that's saying, okay, when you step back and look at, you know, if you're you're an office that has, you know, eight or 10 different contracts in place, and you go, hey, we've got this really crappy fee schedule. I'm just going to drop it. I'm going to drop this contract. Well, if you don't step back and look, you might have five other companies that are just going to have the option of stepping back in and picking that company up anyway. So dropping something can actually hurt you more than help you because if you drop a direct contract, and there's a lower-paying shared network agreement in place. You could actually find that dropping a, a low-paying contract, it actually could get picked up by somebody even lower if you're not careful. That's why those opt-outs are really important.
0: All this sounds very dizzying and confusing to me, to be quite honest it with is. you. Saying, I think they. Per- uh, thank God, they're people like you. All right, so let's. Um. So now we've now we've talked about that. There, number one, I want, what I want most and foremost. For people to understand is i want everybody listening to this that is in network with ppos and to negotiate with them to know that you can get a fee increase and even one percent two percent three percent whatever the number is it's worth it uh because it adds up over time not just for that year but for the number of years you stay on that contract so uh, i'll happily take one percent every year because 1% of that number is a decent amount of money, Uh, so I'll take that. So what I would like to talk about now is your opinion having worked with so many insurance companies. Let's say I'm a new dentist, a experienced dentist, seasoned dentist, and I've tried to avoid insurance companies for as long as possible, but I'm getting to the realization that I can't or that I need a little boost in my practice, and now I'm considering getting in-network. Talk to me about what process or recommendations you would have for somebody looking to get in network how would they choose which ones to go into
1: yeah and that's when you want to be really cautious about just because you don't want to be taking huge chunks of production um, obviously that you're already doing on an out-of-network basis and then downgraded unless you're going to get you know realistically enough new patients to offset that so what we would look at is we would go back and look at a year's worth of production, and certainly office can do this in-house as well. So we run a report and say we want to look at how much production we did for the last 12 months, but broken down by insurance companies. So if you're doing you know, a million-dollar practice, how much of that million did you build out tied to Delta and NutLife and Guardian and on down the list? Then you go get offers from the companies and come back. And then what we do is we do an estimate to say, well, based on the makeup of your practice and how often you build out each code, if you were to accept this offer, we're then saying, we're estimating that your collections rate would be this percent. So let's say, you know, it's uh, whatever, it's 75% collections rate. So what that means is, if you were to go and network with this company, we're estimating that based on the makeup of your practice, you're going to probably collect about 75% of your full fee, or that would be a 25% write-off. What the big thing is, you've got to look at, well, how much production do you have tied to that company now? And if you're going to give all of your current patients a new 25% discount, what's the cost going to be? Now, obviously, that cost or that price tag is giving all of your current patients a new discount. So you're hoping to offset that with you know new patient flow. But you wanna see that price tag because really the price tag is your marketing dollars. If it's gonna, you know, if you've got $100,000 of production type in that life and it's a 50% write off, it's a $50,000 a year loss in collections. Well, $50,000 is a pretty big marketing budget for the year. So does it really make sense to do that? Are you gonna get enough new patients to offset a $50,000 loss in collections from your current pool of patients? Or, you know, would you really be better off spending $20,000 twenty or thirty thousand dollars this year marketing and staying out of that one. Whereas if you can find some pockets of companies where, you know, maybe it's more like a, a 20 25 percent write-off, but it's a smaller pool of production that you're not capitalizing on right now, how can we then figure out some of those smaller companies where you could grow the practice and it wouldn't cost you as much to go and network? So you don't want to get on the hamster wheel where you're just doing, you know, more and more, you know procedures in order to just offset the loss that you're taking. Then you're just, you know, working harder for the same collections you have right now. So you just really want to look at that price tag, go okay. Do do the numbers really make sense? You know, can I justify going in network? Because I think I'm going to get enough new patients realistically with this write-off, or really does that just not make sense and we need to stay out with that one?
0: So it's not just about looking for the insurance company has the best fees uh, there's there's more that goes into that, but let's say hey, I need an injection of patients in my practice. Is there any particular insurance companies, generally speaking, that you would recommend or that have good uh, good patient pools uh, in your experience? Well,
1: that's it's a good question, and it's very very demographic specific. So what we would then look at is okay, what are the most relevant companies in that particular area? Um, that you're trying to access. So things like the school district, maybe the local hospital, if there's certain major companies where you're like, we would really, if we could just get access to that pool of patients on an in-network basis, that's where we think they'd have the best payoff. That's where we would really look at. So it's not so much um, a particular insurance company that we're looking at as much as, where are the largest pockets of patients with the local employer groups that you're trying to access and how do we find a path to those? Um, and then again, looking at, you know, let's say the school district has, you know, Aetna or Guardian or whoever. Again, it's not just looking at that company. Now it's going, well, what contract would could you take that would still pick up those, again, this whole shared network agreement thing? Okay. Gotcha.
0: Excellent. So now let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's say, and I'm kind of going through this right now to a certain degree. Let's say that uh, I'm in network with eight eight insurance companies. And I want to reduce my burden on insurance companies and, and slowly, whether it's, whether, actually, whether it's fast or slow, I want to start choosing the best plans to get rid of. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you advise uh, your customers on that?
1: Yeah, so we do that same just side-by-side comparison to say, okay, let's stack these up. So based, again, on the makeup of your practice, how often you're billing out each code, here's your best paying option down to your worst paying option. Now, if your worst paying option has $300,000 a year production tied to it, you know, maybe that's not the first place to start.
0: What if it's $300,000 at no profit margin because it pays so badly?
1: Yeah, and that sometimes is the case. Sometimes we do go aggressive and say, okay, this one just has to go. Um, But as we're looking at a strategy, a lot of times the doctor is more comfortable saying, instead of starting with the $300,000 one, let's start with the one that's 50,000 a year and let's just go through the process and let's give our staff a chance to answer questions from patients and make that transition. And then let's move to the next one. So, and some of that depends on, you know, you kind of alluded a little bit to, as far as just the stage of life you're in, you know, and a lot of people know I'm married to a dentist, so we own a dental practice. And and I completely relate to those sleepless nights. You just, you bought a practice, payroll's in three days and you're like, oh my gosh, my supply bills due. You know, it's very stressful. So in those early stages, you don't necessarily have all of these options. You're just trying to get bills paid and grow your practice and develop relationships with patients, and your options are kind of limited. And then as you kind of get to that middle stage of of practice ownership where you're paying off debt and you don't have all those student loans and some things start to loosen up a little bit, you can start to be a little bit more selective as far as, you know what, I needed this five years ago i don't know that i need this one now and so you're gradually changing your strategy as you know your practice evolves and your life changes and then you know for for us right now we're in that process where it's like you know do we really want to mess with all of these you can start to really scale back because the headaches and i think you're probably can relate to this i don't have to have these anymore it's more like i've built my practice i have good relationship with my patients You know, I don't need the insurance companies to necessarily be funneling new patient flow to me. You can start to get a lot more aggressive about dropping. And so it's really identifying what stage are you at and how do we find the right fit for that particular time. Because as time goes on, you don't necessarily need everything you needed at the beginning.
0: Right. Absolutely. I want to kind of focus now on something that we're actually doing in our practice and that's near and dear to me. And that's the concept of transitioning out of insurance. Now, before I go into this, I, I want to make a statement. I don't believe that a dental business should ever trans, necessarily ever transition out of insurance. What I do believe is that in multiple doctor situations, uh, that you should set up a situation where the senior doc or the owner doc, they personally transition out of insurance, where you keep maybe the associate in-network and the owner-doctor out-of-network or senior partner in-network, junior partner out-of-network or vice versa, depending on the scenario. So one of the things we're trying to work towards in my practice and my, my dental business is where I stay, stay out-of-network or get out-of-network and we keep uh, uh, the other two dentists in-network. So talk, talk to us. Let's talk about that, Sandy. Number one, every time I tell people this, what I've heard more often than not is dentists will say, I thought you couldn't do that. Either you were all in as a practice or not all in. Is there truth to that?
1: No, most companies, um, the vast majority allow split participation. So you can have one or more doctors participating, others not under the same tax ID number. So yeah, that's definitely possible to do that, just like what you're doing. And we're seeing more of that. Um, the challenges with it, of course, are that Um, you know, patients who might be coming specifically to see an in-network provider. If the owner doctor is hiring an associate specifically to cover for them like the vacation time and and to have more time away from the office, then it's a little bit harder to manage because your front office staff has kind of a pool of patients who are expecting to see an in-network doctor um, and they're not always maybe in the the office at the same time. So it's a little bit more challenging sometimes from that um, scheduling perspective. But especially in a case like yours, where you've got two associates and you're wanting to transition to, you know, maybe doing, a lot of times you see it where the, the owner doctor is wanting to do more high-end procedures. Yes. Um, they're using the, the new patient flow to really fuel the growth of the practice to be able to funnel that new patient flow to the associates. And we do see that um, happening a lot more. All
0: right. I got a last couple of questions for you. Thank you on that, Sandy, that was good. I, I, hope, I hope people are getting value out of that. So, okay, so we've talked about all of this, uh, unbelievably good information, a little bit confusing, to be quite honest with you. Okay, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So if I'm a dentist like me, uh, and I say, you know what, I'm in network, I'm not gonna drop insurance companies because it it really fuels my practice but i'd like to get paid a little bit more and i don't want to do the hassle of this stuff myself how do i contact you and how do your services work and what exactly does unlock the ppo do
1: yeah so well our website is unlocktheppo.com. so you pop on there there's a ton of just uh, our, our website is meant to have a lot of just really useful information so even if you're thinking hey i might want to keep this in house or i just want to get some more information we have really tried to make our website just a good resource um, whether you outsource the, the the process or not, or you keep it in-house, mostly we just want to tell everybody, get, get, get going with it. Make sure you're doing it and you're reaching out and you're staying on top of it. So our website's a great place to go. Um, but we basically, and we only work with solo practices, so no more than um, one location. We're very narrow with our parameters as far as we just... Our, our real passion is helping the solo practice um, really maximize the reimbursement. Uh, Sandy, I want to so clarify something
0: that you're saying. Uh, just, just so it's, uh, people are clear, I apologize for interrupting. When I hear solo practice, I think of one doctor practice. And what you're saying is not solo practice in terms of one doctor. You're saying single location practice.
1: One doctor, or sorry, one location, and then um, two doctors is the okay. highest that we go. with The size of practices that we handle, um, so yeah, so pretty small. And then, you know, our goal is really to. Because a lot of a lot of doctors think that corporate offices get these much better deals. Well, the reality is, you as a solo practice can absolutely. Tailor your, your fee schedule negotiations and your participation better in most cases than a corporate office because it's based on what's best for you and your individual practice. You're not looking at what's best for 50 dentists. You're looking at really what's specifically the makeup of your practice and how do you maximize things that are tailored specifically to you. So, um, so yeah. So we work in that regard. So basically, through my my partner Lisa, which you know Lisa from Town as well, mm-hmm. she handles all of our startup practices. So it's a scratch start, that's all Lisa. She's amazing. Um, she she has. I think mean, there's nobody out there who knows startup practices and the dynamic of that and getting initial contracts positioned well than her. And, I mean anybody in the country, she's awesome. And then i work with all of our established practices so if it's just straight renegotiations of current contracts or if it's a fee-for-service office that says i'm wanting to look at maybe selectively adding a couple of plans um then i handle those so those are the the markets of what we handle um and then it's just the analysis piece we do all back and forth negotiations make recommendations the paperwork you know just all the the follow-up um paperwork castles that are tied to it so
0: and what is a typical fee? What can a de- because you know dentists always want to know what things cost. I mean, I, I'm no different, by the way. What's a rough number of how much it costs for you to do this?
1: In general, just our regular package, which is what most people do, is for one doctor, it's forty-seven fifty that we break that out into three payments. If it's a two doctor practice, it's sixty-seven fifty. So it's an additional two thousand for the second doctor, and that includes all their applications and all their paperwork as well. Sometimes we do a custom package if we think. That's a little bit overkill for your situation. We'll just scale it back and do something more customized. But for the most part... So, like, know. if I want
0: you to negotiate with one company for you, me, it may not be the same? Okay. So you guys are... It sounds like you're reasonable. In other words, it's not this is the only thing we do, this is what we charge. It depends on, to a certain degree, the scope of what services they're going to engage you for, the, the complexity of the overall work.
1: Yeah, and regardless with us, we're entirely project-based, so we don't do any of the ongoing monthly fees. That is my thing that bothers me as far as, like, our our goal is you can only negotiate once every two years at most. So you shouldn't be paying in between contracting timeframes for things that you really can't go back to the insurance companies again about anyway. And we don't do a percentage of increase. Um, Our goal is to say this is project-based. We do everything beginning to end. Then we wrap up, and then hopefully we do a great job and you come back again in a couple years. If not, we save everything for our clients in an online account you know you have an account with us. Um, so it's meant to be transparent. So if you want to you know, go for it next time on your own and keep it in-house, you'll still have copies of everything that we negotiated for you as well.
0: Would you say generally almost everybody gets uh, more than their, pay, their, their fee out of their negotiations?
1: Yes, because we have a guarantee. <laughs> so um, so I'm pretty cautious about all of our clients talk with me first. And we have a phone consult first before we sign on, because it really is about a six month process. And so we guarantee you're going to get your money back from us uh, with us um, within that first 12 month estimate or we refund the difference. So none of us want to do this for six months and we just turn around and give you a refund. So it's very rare. About once a year, twice a year at most, I I over guess but it's really rare. I'm I'm pretty good about knowing if it's going to be a good value or not. And if it's not, we really just want to, you know, kind of direct people, "Hey, here's some things you could do on your own, but you're better to keep it in the house."
0: I don't I don't remember my numbers this year, but I I think I was pleasantly surprised at uh, at uh, at our our estimated return. Because obviously you don't see it until you look at the numbers at the end of the year but uh and i remember when i when i worked with you guys four years ago or five years ago that was a big number that that number was i was kicking myself that i had left so much money on the table uh, over the years beforehand i was very upset with myself on that one so
1: well and that's a good point too is that there's usually one big kind of overhaul to say we got let's get in there and clean everything up and get everything as high as it can go and then it's more maintenance every couple of years. Because once you get the biggest things out of the way, you're not going to get as much of that every two years. So you're right. And that's why a lot of times, if we do, we'll tell a client, you know, let's do everything to get everything maximized, cleaned up. And then in a couple of years, let's see if it really makes sense to come back or you know, we can really help you again or would you be better off just kind of keeping the maintenance part on your own. So you're right. That first go around is usually what you can see. It was,
0: I, I, I want to say, our first go-around, and that was the first time I had negotiated ever in 12 years, 12, 13, 12 years or so, that first go-around was six figures for us that first year uh, in increased revenue, and, and it, it, it cost me, I, I think your fee was even less at the time. It might have been like thirty-seven to $4,000. I mean, it cost me nothing at the scheme of things, and by the way, that was, that was six figures as a solo dentist at that time. Uh, so you know uh, we're seeing um, we've seen great things and and for me it was just I can't believe how dumb I was all those years not understanding it and I've ha- I had team members call and ask to negotiate and they said no or they maybe they gave up too quickly and I was like well how come everybody else is telling me they're doing this and it's not happening for me so I finally said you know I'm bite the bullet I mean I hesitated to spend the money to be quite honest with you and I said I'm just going to bite the bullet and spend it. And yeah, now, now I'm like trying, I want to do it. I want to do it every year. I, I want to spend five grand every year to get a hundred grand back. <laughs> <laughs> if it only worked that way. Well, Sandy, thank you so much for your time. What's the best way for our listeners to contact you? So would be unlock And our phone number is 855-327-9125. So website or phone,
1: either one. And we have just a packet of information. We'll just email it to people who just want, you know, kind of see the whole package of, of what we do. We're pretty um, we're pretty low pressure.
0: And somebody can talk to you to kind of get an idea of what would work for them before they commit to services?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. In fact, so, we, we don't even offer a contract with anybody so I can have a chance to chat with them personally, and that calls actually with me because I'm the one that they'd be working with, or Lisa, but we want them to be, we kind of want to connect with them in the very beginning to make sure we're even a good fit before they go any further. So we just have a complimentary call and give them some general feedback, you know, just to see if it's even, you know, going down the right road.
0: That's awesome. You know, um, I love hearing a lot of these things as a relatively small company, doing things right, being fair to dentists, fair to people in general. And uh, those are the kind of companies that I want to do business with. And I hope those are the kind of companies that our viewers and listeners want to support. So thank you for all that you do for dentistry. And thank you for being a wonderful company to work with. Thanks.
1: That means the most, actually. So,
0: thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Sandy. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal. Remember to keep striving for excellence and we'll catch you on the next episode.